Welcome to City on a Hill Church, Forest Hills Podcast. We exist to lead people to love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coahforesthills.org. All right, good morning. Ooh, that's a little hot. All right. Um, good to be with you guys. I don't get to come here often, so I'm really uh, excited to be here. Um, but we'll dig right in. Uh, the phrase, where did I come from? Or that question often explains a lot. So uh, your family of origin, the family you grew up in, and the culture and the place you grew up in. <clears throat> Excuse me. These all matter a lot. And we all have ways of doing things that tell a story about our families, our family history, where we came from. And for example, there's a reason that my mom always saves paper towels after she uses them and and runs them in the faucet and squeezes them out. That might seem strange to some of you, but for some of you, you guys know what I'm talking about. And it helps to do that kind of asking when you look into your family to know things about yourself and to explain things about yourself. And so when you enter the family of faith as a Christian, when you decide that you belong to Jesus and you accept his forgiveness in your life, when you accept that he's Lord of your life, you have to kind of do a looking, if you will, into your family history. And you have to ask these questions. What kind of family have I been adopted into? What are the rules of this family? Do we, do we save paper towels? Do we... What do we do here? What is this family like? And that's why our chapter today was written and given to us. You see, Israel, this book was written, Genesis is written because Israel coming out of slavery, out of Egypt, they needed to know what kind of family are we? Where did we come from? What were our ancestors like? What were our fathers like? What were our mothers like? What were our uncles and aunts like? And most importantly, what is God like? This God that's brought us out of Egypt, what's he like? I need to know. We need to know. And that's why this was written. And so we go to chapter 37, as, uh, as Rick just read. And you need to know first, I'm going to actually just read it anyway, so we can remember where we are. Um, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These, these are the generations of Jacob. Verse 2, right? Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now you need to know the context of these relationships. Who is Joseph? Now, if you remember, he's the firstborn of his mother, Rachel, who just died in the last chapter. And Rachel was the favorite wife of Jacob, who then we call Israel. So if I say Jacob, if I say Israel, you'll know who I'm talking about. So Israel's favorite wife has just now passed. And Joseph is the favorite son of that wife, or the first son. And so while he's younger, he's younger pretty much than all of his other brothers, except for his little brother, Benjamin, who we won't won't hear much about today. So Joseph's growing up without his mom and with all of his brothers. And so as a boy, he brings this bad report. It just says bad report, right? When he's 17 years old. So we're not sure if the report's true or false. Uh, it's, it's kind of unclear. Maybe he's 
actually telling on them like something that's true, but maybe he's just sort of making them look bad. The language could imply that it's, the report is kind of untrue. So he brings this report about them, and then the brothers, they hate Joseph because of this. It says they hate him. And what we also see is that Israel here is not being a good father. He's playing favorites. Doesn't see, it does, he's, he's not being fair on some way. And so maybe, look, maybe Jacob saw potential. Maybe he feels bad for this son because his mother's no longer around. Maybe it's because it's the son of his favorite wife. Maybe Joseph had some outstanding qualities that make him like a really cool kid. But either way, Israel's sin, Jacob's sin is that he lets fondness, which is just kind of liking someone, that's good, become favoritism. So his fondness for Joseph should not have become favoritism, and it's this favoritism that harms his family. And so it's important to maintain that balance. But what we see is that Israel, he kind of fails to do this. And so his sons, these brothers, instead of, you know, they could have responded differently as well. Well, we're, we're not saying the favoritism is good, but his brothers, they could have responded a little differently. But what they do, instead of somehow absorbing this favoritism with grace or bearing it, not that we expect kids to do that very well, they react with deep hatred. And we'll see... And we see that, you know, even in the last chapter, if you remember, the way they react with deep hatred is they, they, they destroy a whole village or a whole town of people. And so again, like the last chapter, it's not that what happened to them is good, but their reaction is utterly sinful, right? So that's a quick diagnostic. How do you know that your heart is full of hatred other than you just, you, maybe you already know that. How do you know if you really hate somebody? Well, there's lots of ways, but one Symptom, which you see in the passage, is you can't even say a nice thing to the person. You can't, even, you can't even engage with them in a civil manner. And that's one way we deal with hatred. Sometimes when we're sinned against, we sin, right? We, we, we're, everything that comes out is ugly. And so, so Israel shows favoritism, and he sins in this way, and the brothers sin by hating Joseph. Let's go to verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him, even more. Now look, you know you've been poisoned against somebody and that this seed of bitterness has sprouted when just anything they say now, it just adds fuel to the fire, right? It, it doesn't even mean that they're saying anything that's that bad, but at this point, you dislike them. And if you dislike them and you hate them, then it really doesn't matter what they say. You'll just sort of, it, it just all goes the wrong way. Let me give you a good example. Anyone in public life, any public figure you can think of, you could choose. You like sports, you like politics, you like celebrities, whatever you like. When a person that you like in that sphere says something or does something that's like not that great, what do you do? You give them the benefit of the doubt. I was like, ah, ah, that was a gaffe. I just, you know, they didn't mean that. That We probably don't know the full story of what's going on, right? That's what you do. But if you don't like them, you're like, that person, I knew it. It confirms everything I've believed about them all along. And so you see what hatred does and, and you can see that at this point, they've been totally poisoned against him. And so these guys are not in a place of neutrality. They're not in a place where they lack suspicion. They're not filled with the Spirit of God, ultimately. Because what do we know? We know the Spirit of God brings what? It brings love and peace and patience and kindness, and it hopes all things, believes all things. And so we know that 
These guys are not in that kind of place. They're already poisoned against him. And let me pause and ask, where in your life and with whom in your life have you been poisoned with bitterness and hatred? Or let me throw in indifference. Because some of you guys are Christians, so you know you're not supposed to hate and be bitter. So now you've just, you put on a nice veneer of indifference. I just don't care about them anymore. Maybe it's, some, maybe it's justified because of something they did in the past. Maybe they did something really awful. But where in your sin have you allowed everything that person does now is in a different light? Where have you been so poisoned now that nothing they do seems good to you? We can stop there, but we're going to keep going. Verse 6. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, look, we don't know if Joseph at this point has had this dream and is telling them on purpose to make them mad. Or maybe he's just telling them his dream sort of innocently. That's how I always learned it. Oh, the little boy just told his brothers the dream and they hate him. I don't know. He's 17, remember. But they hate him even more. And let's remember this too, the context of the relationships. What did we just see a few weeks ago between their mothers? See, Jacob had multiple wives. And what we saw a few chapters ago was that their mothers were in conflict with each other. You don't think that spilled over into the way the brothers saw each other? These brothers were not immune to their upbringing and environment, and neither are we. Have you ever paused to understand the context of your upbringing? Have you ever dug into what you grew up in and how that affects how you see people and do things? It's really, really important. Otherwise, you're just going to be completely flying blind. You don't know what you're reacting to. As a small illustration, I, um, I, I relish sometimes not saving paper towels. So that's a small thing. But I know where that comes from. You know what I'm saying? So you got to know where it comes from. All right, let's keep going. Verse 9, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. This is now the second dream about the same thing. All right? So when you have two dreams of the same kind, sometimes it means that you're you're being given a message, right? You dream it once, maybe who knows. But when you get two, maybe a message is being given. And in Joseph's dreams, the numbers tell the story. 11 stars, the sun, and the moon. So it's very clear to to everyone what this dream means. So Joseph's basically saying, I've had two dreams now, and in the first ones, my brothers were bound down to me, and in the second one, mom, dad, you guys are all bowing down to me. And listen, if you come from a traditional culture like I do, a child coming and telling his parents and his older siblings that they're going to bow down to him, That's pretty offensive and disrespectful. It might yield you some punishment of a physical kind, potentially. All right? Listen, this is not a five-year-old kid just telling his parents, like, you're all going to bow down to me one day. He's 17. He's old enough to buy cigarettes. All right? He could vote, right? Maybe. 
he can definitely get married. So, at, in that society, sorry, I'm just going to clarify. All right, so, but he just tells his brothers and his parents, you're all going to bow down to me one day. But what does it do? There's actually two reactions. And let's get back to this seed of bitterness that we talked about. His brothers are upset. But what does it say? It says that they're jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. So what does that mean? You see, even though, so it means that, first of all, his brothers and his parents realize that there's some kind of divine purpose behind this dream. They all recognize it. That God has something to do with these dreams and that God is communicating with them via this repeated dream. So what Joseph is kind of saying is, God has told us that you're all going to bow down to me one day. And what's interesting, again, is what love and hatred can do. You see, Jacob, he, yeah, he's playing favorites. That's not right. But he does love his son. And so when he hears something potentially offensive, but he loves his son, he just keeps it in mind. That's all he does. He's still upset. He rebukes his son, but he keeps it in mind. His brothers hate him. So what do they do? They're jealous too. They add jealousy to their hatred. You see how the posture of the heart changes the way that everything looks to you about somebody. Hatred makes you blind and love makes you keep things in mind. A little side note on dreams. We believe as Christians that dreams still happen, right? So Joel 2, 28 and 29 um, says, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour my spirit out uh, pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, your daughters shall prophecy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So we can ask God to help us interpret dreams. I know this may not be common for everybody, but if you have a dream, especially if it's repeated, and I'd say kids, if you're, you know, doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, if you have a dream that seems conspicuous and strange, I would tell, bring it to your leaders, bring it to your community group. If you're in one, you should be in one if you're not, and, and prayerfully ask God if there's any meaning behind it, and he can reveal the meaning. All right, so his brothers are upset, and you know, it's, it's very easy, it's real easy when you read the story of Joseph to just pour on the brothers, but... Joseph is also not blameless here. Maybe he's realizing now, maybe he has the second dream and he's like, oh, oh, I see. Maybe he now has this clear indication about his role in the future. And maybe he's even started to feel entitled to his role. Maybe he starts to think, well, you know, I already got the fancy coat. I already have the favor of my father. And now I've been told by God himself that I'm going to rule this place one day. Sometimes, Christians, we forget that we have the gospel because it's God's free gift. And what happens when we forget it's a gift, undeserved, given to us? We begin to think that we deserve it. And maybe that's what Joseph is doing here. He's starting to think that this thing that God has ordained to happen in his life is because he's such a good guy or he's such an excellent person. Who knows? Perhaps you've been taught... Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. So his brothers are upset. Joseph is also not blameless. And maybe you look at this now, and there's already all this stuff going on. 
and you've been taught about this passage before, and you're wondering, well, okay, we want stories that inspire us. This has not inspired us so far. This is getting pretty bad. We want something not to discourage us. And what did we say? This is like a family history. So what is going on? Why am I being told this origin story of my family? Shouldn't I be, shouldn't it be a nice shiny story that makes my family look real good? But remember what all this is. This is really about the family history and the God who loves them. It's, about, it's really more like your story and mine, if we really were honest. And what we'll see as, I, as, as, we, as we kind of round the bend here on it is that Israel, Joseph, his brothers, they're all loved and chosen by God. They're all loved by God, not because of anything they've done, but simply because God has decided to love them. And so God's love for these brothers and for Joseph is such that he doesn't leave them in the place that they are. Is Joseph maybe filled with some arrogance here? Maybe. Are his brothers filled with hatred and jealousy? We know that for sure. Is Jacob still an imperfect father who shows favoritism? Yes. But God's love is that he doesn't leave them where they are. He wants to expose their hatred and pride and sin so that one day they'll repent and turn away. And we begin to see that process. So we're going to take you through the beginning. That's what this is, is the process. A lot of times you're going through life and relationships and you are so focused on that relationship that you don't step back and see the process that God is up to and what he's doing in your heart. Let's keep going. Verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, this is Jacob and Joseph talking. Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him, Joseph, wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me please where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they've gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, the brothers did, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams." So the brothers, do they hate Joseph even more? Yes. Is Joseph being not that careful by sharing all this stuff? Maybe he could have like pulled it back a little, just told dad because he knows the brothers already, already hate him. Is he just shoving it in their face? Yeah, maybe. But there's another key element here. God has also, and everyone's acknowledged this, has decided to reveal something about his plan in these dreams. And so these brothers are so blinded by their hatred because they know these dreams are from God, that they not only hate Joseph, but if you, if you look at it, they hate the plans of God. And they decide that they want to go against God. It's, it's, it's really staggering to think about. In the beginning, they hate Joseph. But now that's why it said they're filled with jealousy. Why would you be jealous unless you think the dreams have something real in them? They're filled with jealousy because they realize God is behind these dreams. And then 
They're nuts. They decide we're going to go to war with God. Do you see what hatred does to us? Do you see what jealousy does to us? It causes us to go to war with God. We begin to say, basically when God says, I'm behind something, I'm doing something here, even though things are messed up and not everyone's perfect in this situation, he'll say, I have decided that this is what I want to use to bring good in your life. He brings the circumstances of your life and he says, I know these circumstances are broken. I want to use it to bring good in your life. I have decided I want this to happen. And we have two responses. Is One is that like Jacob, who doesn't understand what this dream means, is offended by it. We can keep it in mind. You see, Israel, Joseph's father, he keeps it in mind. Jacob has got enough wisdom. We've been following his journey. He's got enough time following God. He's been through enough that he can keep it in mind. Or we can decide to try and fight God. Because these brothers, they have not walked with God long enough, if at all. So, th- so they just say, we're going to go against it. They decide they want to go to war with God. And let me ask, are you in a place this morning, especially in the family of faith, where you hate somebody? Or like I said before, so I had a professor once who said, the opposite of love is not hate. The, op- the opposite of love is indifference. Are you in a place where you hate or are completely indifferent to someone? Are you in a place where God is unfolding plans for someone else that seems really unfair and your response is jealousy instead of being glad for their blessing? Let this be a warning to us. We have to bring our hearts to God. It's not that you're not going to have these emotions, but you have to bring them to God. Bring your emotions to God. Do your business with God but we cannot allow sin to grow so that we can't see clearly anymore what's going on and then do more that is wrong. So these brothers are out of their mind because that's what sin does. It makes you crazy. Now they're ready to kill their brother in their hatred and jealousy and try to go against God. Verse 21. But when Reuben heard it, He rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. So first they're like, We'll kill him. We'll throw him into the pit. Then we'll see what happens from his dreams. Then they, then they kind of pull it back a little bit. They don't kill him right away. Maybe they, maybe they realize, they're, maybe, they're a little, maybe there's a little bit of fear of God in them. We don't know. Maybe they just feel bad because it's their brother. And then you see Reuben. He's not really, he's trying to help, but he like doesn't want to make everyone mad. Like he doesn't actually stand up for Joseph. He just sort of kind of tries to sneak his way into rescuing Joseph. And we don't even know why. Maybe he's just trying to get back into good graces with his father if you realize in a previous chapter, he kind of did a little something. It was very inappropriate. Uh, maybe, it was a, you know, maybe he's just trying to earn back favor. We don't know. I, I, I would argue his motivations aren't good, as you'll see. And then it says they sat down to eat. And if you read ahead in Genesis, you actually know that while they're sitting down to eat, what Joseph is doing. Chapter 42 in Genesis, verse 21, I'll just read it for you. It says, Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul while he begged us 
and we did not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. So if you can imagine, they've thrown him into the pit, and he's just begging. He has distress in his soul, and he's begging, begging for help. And then they just sit down and eat with a sense of satisfaction. I would say that maybe they're just enjoying the fact that he's miserable. So do you see the effects of sin and anger and jealousy? You see, these, this hatred and jealousy are folded into each other, and they don't even care, though their brother is begging them, their own brother. Let me ask you again, where are you not taking your emotions and relationships to God, but instead letting hatred grow in your heart towards somewhere else? You know, this is where the enemy wants to get you with the sneaking, sinister, the plausible sinister thoughts. Well, you know, they're always kind of like that. I've noticed that. Well, they always seem to do this. Friends, where in your life has God decided that he wants to unfold things a certain way in someone else's life and not in your own? James, the brother of Jesus, talks about this, the dynamics of how this works, almost as if, you know, he read the Old Testament, which he did. James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So sometimes our problem is not with others, but with how God is unfolding his plan for others versus how he's unfolding it in our own lives. And our business is ultimately with God. And rather than fighting with others, we can bring our desires to God. We can bring the desires of our heart to God. So uh, a big uh, example of this in my life is my mom. You know, my mom, I've, I've seen her throughout her life since growing up. And I've seen how the stresses of life, especially with people, have, have brought her down. People being nasty in her life. People cheating her. People being in church, just really awful. I've seen her leave church. I've seen her handle difficulty and conflict in the family. And the weird thing is now in her 70s, the peace I see in her soul when I see her. She can talk about something that was so stressful to her 10 years ago. And she says, I've just given it to the Lord. And, she, and I know it's real. You know what I mean? You can see it when your parents are like lying to you. or they're being, Your parents don't usually lie to you, though. Um, you know, but you know, you can see when they're trying to do the right thing, but they're not successfully doing it right. My mom is just peaceful. She says, I've given it to the Lord. She, even after a really difficult season at church and going away because people were, were doing wrong, just said, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go back and be with the people of God and give to the work of the ministry and just be at church again. And so I've seen it in my mom because she's brought the desires of her heart to God. But instead of that happening here, the brothers have not yet learned to do this. So what do they do? Verse 25. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. All right, pretend that there's somebody in your life you don't like that much right now. And if I told you 
that I could just nothing them. I just, they're going to disintegrate. And I'll give you $10,000. How many of you take, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't. Now let me point out to you how dangerous and evil that kind of sentiment is. Because there is in each of us a willingness to get rid of people that matter to God and to others. There's that, we are willing to do that. I actually started laughing the last time I preached this message because I realized how deep it runs. So my wife leaned over to someone as a joke, as a joke, and whispered, I don't even know if I need the money. But that was a joke. That was a joke. Sorry, it's going on the internet, huh? Um, it was a joke. But this is what happens. We get so twisted, we're willing to like wish people out of existence. 29, verse 29. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Again, it might be because of his responsibility, but notice where the focus of Reuben is on. It's on I, where shall I go? Joseph is gone, but he's upset because of how it's going to affect him. And you see now how things start to affect. You see how your own heart can lie to you and how sin can mislead you. How can you see better? I've, I've, I'll, and I'll give you the solution. Honestly, I've had to turn to other saints that, that, and, and say, I know. What am I not seeing here? And I remember one time being with Tyler, who's another pastor at City on Hill, Brookline. And I was like, what am I not seeing here? And I explained how perfectly right I was in a situation and how perfectly wrong the other person was. And he just quietly said to me, I think you're giving more grace to yourself than you are to them. And he was totally right. You need the other saints to see yourself better. They don't do that. Verse 31, then they took Joseph, Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. So they lie and deceive their father. Does that sound familiar if you've been with us the last few weeks? You know, it's almost like they come from the same family. You know, it's crazy. They're using goat's blood and they dip Joseph's robe in goat's blood just like their dad used goat's skin to lie to his dad when he was stealing his brother's blessing. And so the cycle continues. Where is the hope in this cycle, you might ask? Notice they also say, is it your son's robe? It's not their brother anymore. It's your son. And that's another diagnostic. If someone else in the church, in the body of Christ, they're supposed to be closer than blood, but you're more like, well, that's your concern, God. Verse 34. Then Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold them in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This paints a pretty bleak picture. They're in dysfunction. They're lying and they're cheating. And maybe it's not so big now. But I think all of us in this room see a little bit of this in ourselves. Maybe you, like Reuben, get worried about what's going to happen to you, not so much what is going to happen to others. 
maybe for others of you, you've, you can start to see the symptoms of this as you live your life out. And some of you, let's be real, would almost, uh, some of you would trade that person away out of existence and get your $10,000. And the question is, how can any good come from this? And I'll take you right back to the book of James, because it actually tells us. James 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. And I'm, I, I, I'll, I, there's, there's, the verses keep going and basically saying that if you remain steadfast and you hope in the hope of the Lord, we'll actually see what God is up to. And so you see a small glimpse of this in Jacob, right? Because after walking with God for many years, he keeps it in mind. He doesn't understand, but he's a window into what we are to do. Because we know with greater, greater clarity than Jacob did that in time, God, in his mercy, he always brings goodness out of what seems to be a hopeless circumstance or a broken relationship. God does this in the family of Israel, and he can do it in our lives. You see, in this family, you're going to see through the rest of Genesis, he transforms their hatred. He transforms their relationship to God and each other. He saves them, not just from bodily harm, because that's coming. He saves them from starvation, but he's going to save them from the sin in their hearts. And even though they left Joseph in the pit and they didn't care about his cries, God would save all of them through what happened next. And God saw Joseph. God sees the family in their undeserving state. He sees them in their hatred, and he delivers them from all of it. But we know something else, too. We know the reason that God, in his justice, could show this horrible family this kind of favor. Some of you might see this family and say, why would you even show them this kind of favor? And the reason is because we know that thousands of years later, God's own son, his one and only son, would cry out, he would cry out like Joseph. And in order to hear the cries of Joseph and his brothers and Israel, in order to hear our cries, God the Father did not listen to his own son's cries in Jesus. Jesus cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father does not answer. He didn't respond because Jesus took on himself all of the hatred and the jealousy and the sin all the bad things that we do wrong, the penalty for the dysfunction in the family of Israel, the penalty for the dysfunction that we have in our own family of faith. And he took on himself the punishment that we should have gotten. We should have been left alone crying out for help. We deserve the punishment forever because we're always trying to nothing each other. But he took what we deserved on the cross and rose back from the dead and the grave could not hold him, and he defeated our sin, Satan, the one who tries to get us to hate one another, and he defeated death, and he did it for us. See, Jesus was rejected so that we would not be left alone, and so we can see the end a lot clearer than even Jacob could. We see the end of these efforts not to hate each other or to find ourselves filled with jealousy. We see the end of our struggle to do our business with God in the midst of difficult relationships. God is with us. He has plans for us. He will protect us even when we're fighting each other in him. And so I'll close by saying a phrase that I think I, I, I think sums it up. I'd rather walk with others through days and pain 
with God in mind than fight his sovereign hand. I'll say it again. I'd rather walk with others through days and pain with God in mind instead of fight his sovereign hand. Let's pray together. 